bought in bulk. Post-college, I cultivated a tolerance, though never a taste, for horse meat, thanks to its incredibly low price. Though I no longer eat Palomino, until recently I did comparison shop for chicken thighs, and rarely passed a jumble bin of half-priced anything, jeans, dress shirts, plumbing fixtures, gloves, coffee mugs, without giving it a good tumble. My bliss was driving into Manhattan late on a Friday afternoon and slipping into an unmetered parking spot free for the entire weekend. What changed me was the boot incident. A couple of years ago, I needed a pair of dress boots to complement a New Year's Eve outfit I'd purchased on a super sale at Bloomingdale's. You would not believe how much I saved. I went to my local shoe store in a mini outlet and had a look around. The selection was just so-so. I asked the salesman whether he had anything special, and he brought over a gorgeous pair from Italy. The leather was buttery, the look great, the fit perfect, but the price well out of my range. I settled for some Chinese imports selling for about one quarter the price. The boots were clunky and so uncomfortable that on New Year's Day I tossed them to the back of my closet where they landed in a heap of other unwearable good deals in bad colors or unflattering shapes, a bargain hunter's pile of shame. The footwear fiasco got me thinking about all those cheap gloves and socks and t-shirts and guess-how-much-I-saved stuff cluttering my family's life. How much of this stuff had we used once or not at all and then packed away, given away, thrown away? Why were we doing this? It was time to find out why there seemed to be such a scarcity of things reasonably priced. It seemed that almost all consumer goods were cheap, like the Chinese boots, or extravagant, like the Italian boots. Where, I wondered, was the solid middle ground that offered safe footing not so very long ago? Ferreting out the answer to these seemingly simple questions led to a fascinating journey from the hinterlands of Sweden to the back alleys of Shanghai to the shipyards of Los Angeles. I met with psychologists, economists, farmers, marketers, designers, historians, cultural theorists, mathematicians, and retailers large and small. I ended up spending a couple of years wandering a world of consumer choices driven by a system that creates the desire it claims to sate. This book explores and exposes that system and what role we, as consumers and citizens, play in it. Like all sensible journeys, this one first takes a look backward to history. Retail giant John Wanamaker's inventions, from the white sale to the price tag, changed forever the way we shop. Also playing a role was Frank W. Woolworth, the sickly farm boy who built his Cathedral of Commerce one hairpin at a time and appliance salesman Eugene Ferkoff, the son of Romanian immigrants, and his wildly successful creation, Corvettes. The rise of technology-enabled globalism enabled a shift in power away from manufacturers and workers and onto giant retailers and their stockholders. Low price became king, and the customer its willing pawn.
Simple but clever inventions like the shopping cart and the barcode abetted the shift from full service to self-service, further reducing the need for skilled sales staff and offloading more responsibility onto consumers. Over time, consumer choice became restricted by price. What could not be sold cheaply, like the Chinese boots, became a de facto luxury, like the Italian boots. Discounting reshuffled America's demography by hastening the collapse of cities and the flight to the suburbs. In the distribution upheaval of the early 1960s, hundreds of merchants were put out of business by the looming discount behemoths. By the late 1970s, discounting had infiltrated every market segment, and the emergence of category killers in hardware...